Leviticus chapter 5, verse, uh, from verse 35, it says, If any of, you fellow is, of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner or a stranger, so that they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God, so that they may continue to live among you. You must lend... You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. He continues, if any of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of jubilee then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clan and to the property of their ancestors because the israelites are my servants whom i brought out of egypt they must not be sold into slavery do not rule over them ruthlessly but fear your god so can you see what god is doing here he's saying the culture of my people is going to be different to the culture that they experienced in Egypt. The culture of my people is not going to be the same as what we see when we look around you know, all the other nations of the world. There's going to be something different. You are not to treat one another as all the no- other nations have treated you. And you're not to treat others as all the other nations treat other people. We're going to be different. This community is going to be distinctive. We're going to do things differently. So that's the distant history of the people of God. Then the recent history. Technically, so I told you at at the beginning, the Jews were taken into exile, taken from their, their city of Jerusalem into Babylon. And when they did that, they weren't slaves... They, what, what they were is they, they were prisoners in, in the sense that they couldn't go back to their towns. But they, actually, they could make quite a good life for themselves. So you think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of those people. You think of Nehemiah himself. They actually made good livings for themselves. They did well. They prospered. But many of the poorer people, of the, many of the poorer Jews, they suffered a lot because the taxes were high. And if they couldn't pay their taxes... They had to um, find another way of paying. And for many of them, it was to be put into slavery. You could put yourself or you could put your child into slavery in order to pay your debts. Something amazing happened at some point in, in the life of, of, of the Jews in that while they were in, uh, in captivity, when they were in um, Babylon, they, um, someone, I don't know who, but thought, we need to, there's, there's loads of us have been put into slavery. We, as a community, need to buy them back so that when we go back to Jerusalem, they can come with us. Because remember, if you're a slave, you're, a pro, you, you're, you're, you're part of the property of someone. So the, the Jewish community got together and paid to, to buy back members of their own community. It's quite an incredible thing. And yet, despite all of this, a culture of exploitation and slavery had begun to develop among their own people. You can see why it's serious. So what's happened? Well, it seems the communities hit some hard times. 
And hard times always, uh, always are harder on the poorest than anyone else. High tax- taxation, famine, growing families, lack of time to get things done because they're building this wall. They can't do their farming and all of that. And so money gets tight. And so someone who is, is poorer will go to one of the rich nobles and say, listen, I can't, I, I've, I've, I've paid my taxes, but I don't have anything left to pay for the food for my family. Can you help me? And the rich man will say, well, yes, but it's got to be worth my while. I've got to get something out of this. And so the poor man, you can, you can imagine him saying, well, I don't know how, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to pay you back, but okay, I need to feed my family. And so the rich man would give the poor man some money and expect some interest in return. And of course, the poor man can't pay the guy back. So he goes back to him and says, look, I can't pay you, but we're in desperate need. Can you help me? And he says, okay, you've got a field. Give me your field, and then I'll release some money to you. And the poor man says, well, I, I don't see what other option I've got. And so he takes it. But of course, a, few, a, a little while later, he comes back and says, all my money's gone again. And so the rich man says, well, maybe you need to choose some of your kids and put them into slavery to pay your bills. And so that's, what's, that's exactly where we are at when we start our story in chapter 5 today. Are you all right to click on to me, for me? We're going to read the chapter 5. It says this. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said... We have mortgaged our fields, our vineyards, our homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those that are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters and we are helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaint, I was very angry. And after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are, what, uh, sorry, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves into pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God? Do you remember that law? in order to avoid being mocked by our enemy nations. I myself, as well as my brothers and workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves and homes um, and give it back this very day and repay the interest you've charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine and olive oil. They replied, we will give everything back and, demanded nothing, and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and officials swear that they would do what they promised. I shook out the folds of my robes and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may, I, may God shake you out from this, from, like this from your homes 
and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew from the official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act in this way. I also devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire land. And I required all my servants to spend time working on the walls. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jews and officials at my table, besides all the volunteers and uh, from the other la- sorry, besides all the other visitors from other lands. The provisions I paid for, um, for each day included one ox, six choice si- uh, sheep or goats, a large number of poultry, and even and every ten days we needed a large supply of all kinds of wines. Yeah. I refused to claim the governor's food allowance because the people already carried a heavy burden. Remember me, O God, all that I have done for the people and bless me for it. So there's so much in this single chapter to be unpacked. I was like, oh, should I go for that? Should I go for this? Um, And I'm going to just encourage you to go home Spend some time reading it for yourself. You'll get a lot out of it. If you're in a connect group, maybe in your connect groups, you could look at this chapter this week and think, oh, how can this stir me, excite me, challenge me? Because it's a very challenging time. But I'm going to try and scratch the surface of it this morning to see, uh, but I encourage you to go and dig a bit deeper at the end. I want to talk about two things. I'm going to talk about anger, and I'm going to talk about Christ-like community. The anger's a bit of a focus in on, on what happened in this story. And then the Christ-like uh, community thing is like stepping back and looking at it from, from a bit of a distance. So, anger. Who here ever gets angry? Yeah, okay. Who, who, who here thinks anger is a good thing? Okay, who thinks it's not a good thing? Ooh, okay, very rarely. Okay, right. Got division in the church. Ooh. Okay. <clears throat> okay, another, one more question. Who here thinks you do anger well? Ooh. Okay, so we've got a couple of people. It's interesting. So, so kind of half of us think it's a good thing or an okay thing. But only a couple of people say we do it well. So maybe we've all got some stuff to learn on anger. Anger's an interesting emotion. And just like any emotion, it can be helpful, it can be unhelpful. It can be appropriate, the right response to something, or it can be inappropriate. It can be misplaced. Uh, It can be out of control. Ah! Or it can be in control. Okay, I'm angry, but I'm cool. That's all right. Yeah, so if you have, has anyone, if you ever had a teacher that always got angry? Did any, anyone have, ever have a teacher that was, in effect, they were never angry? Because you didn't know how angry they were, ever, did you? Because they were like, ah! So if you're always angry, your anger is not effective anymore. Okay? So it's a complex emotion, but it's very important. Now, every extreme of this, uh, this emotion 
can be bad. So if, you, uh, if you're quick to fly off the handle when someone gets up in your face, if you're looking for an argument all the time and just ready for it and, and looking to, to kind of be the first one off the mark, that's, that's a problem. Similarly, if you never get angry about anything, injustice, poverty, people that are, are weak and marginalised being taken uh, abuse of, you know, abuses and all of that kind of, you never get angry about that stuff. That's a problem as well. So there's a big scale to be looked at. Now, in truth, our naturally occurring anger and God's righteous anger are two different things. So if you read James, it's going to come up on here, if that's all right. James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's a very challenging verse, I think. And in this chapter, Nehemiah gives us some, some insights into what I believe godly anger looks like. This is not wholesale. This is not the complete picture, but I think he gives us some insights that can help us understand what godly anger looks like. And so I thought I'd just pick some of them out today. So the chapter begins with us being told about this situation that's terrible. People that are poor, people that don't, you know, can't, they can't feed their parents, uh, sorry, they can't feed their kids, are getting exploited. That situation is getting exploited by some of the richer nobles of the society. So that's, a, that's the kind of terrible problem that's occurring. And in verse 6, are you all right to, you've got me, haven't you? Yeah. In verse 6, Nehemiah says that when I, when, when I heard their complaints, that, that word complaints is the same word as, as cries when, when, the, when the Jews back were, when they were getting um, when they were in uh, Egypt when I heard their complaints and their cries I was very angry so the first point about anger is Nehemiah's anger was in defence of the weak and the vulnerable see Nehemiah had a vision of Jerusalem being different to all the other communities around. It was going to be different because it was going to practice the law of God. But now, among his own people, he could see that there was exploitation, corruption, poverty, oppression, injustice. And this made him angry. Often, I don't know if you've heard this said, that people say the, the God of the Old Testament was an angry God. And the God of the New Testament is a loving God. Have you heard that? Well, the thing about that, the problem with that is, is sometimes anger is the right response to love. If you've got, if, if someone you care about is getting uh, kind of inflicted by someone else, then anger is a, is a good response for that. That shouldn't be happening. And actually, if you can do something to, to kind of save that person from that, then that's a righteous thing to do. Or if someone you care about is causing someone else to suffer, it's right to be angry and to confront it, to, to speak truth to power. That's a valuable thing to do. So if your anger is in defense of people that are perhaps weak, 
are vulnerable in a particular way, or if they have a, di- they have a disadvantage, then you might be experienced some godly anger. Verse, uh, verse 6 said, When I heard their complaints, I was very angry, and after thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and officials. Nehemiah's anger, secondly, was considered. He spent some time thinking it over. James told us in that verse we read to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this is Nehemiah's response. His response isn't knee-jerk. It's not like an emotional outburst of what's happened. He he heard what had happened, and then it says he, he spent some time thinking it over, and then he spoke to the nobles and the officials. And actually, if, if you feel God's, if, if, if it's righteous anger, when everything, when the temperature goes down, when you're feeling a bit like, you know, it's not so dramatic in that moment, you'll still find, no, this is wrong. This, isn't, this needs to be spoken out against, even when all the emotion and the hype and that kind of moment has gone. And so that's what we find with Nehemiah. calmed down he was considered and that was uh, an example of godly anger the third one is that um, Nehemiah's anger was proportionate in verse 7 it says that Nehemiah spoke to his nobles in private then in verse 8 it says he brings a great crowd together Nehemiah liked bringing I think he was quite dramatic a few times he brings the crowds together and speaks to them and he brings the priests in in verse 12. So, so it's not just in front of the crowds, but he wants to, to talk about this before God. You see, the reason Nehemiah did that is he knew that, that this issue that had taken, uh, started happening, this kind, of, this kind of exploitation thing that was taking place, wasn't just the mistake of one or two people. Actually, this was something that needed, this was a cultural problem that this was a problem that it was a, it could be classed as a social issue. And so he needed the community to hear what was going to happen as a result of this. And different situations call for different ways of dealing with issues. And Jesus talked about this a lot. If, you, if your brother sins against you, go and talk to them. If he doesn't listen, go and get someone else and talk together. together. So there's a kind of escalation of how you deal with sin. Does that make sense? And so for, he, for, for um, Nehemiah, he felt that he needed to escalate this quite high. Why? Because it wasn't just a couple of individuals. It was a, a social issue. And so um, if, you're, if you're looking at what to do with godly anger, is to, to act proportionately. Don't go over the top. Don't do more than you have to. Think, actually, what do I need to do to resolve this situation? Fourthly, Nehemiah's anger was seeking cultural change. I think this is the most important one. Nehemiah's anger was seeking cultural change, not just punishment. In the world, anger leads to vengeance and punishment. That's the, that's, and, and, and sometimes that, that needs to happen. Punishment needs to happen. That needs to be part of, of, of what happens through anger. But, but actually... Uh, with, with Nehemiah, something different happens. Let's read in, in chapter 5, verse 9. It says, What you are doing is not right. 
Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by, human na- by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending money to, pe- money to people and grain. Just to say, different people think different things about that. Some people say Nehemiah's identifying himself with the sin, that he's been doing it. Other people say, no, he's saying he's doing it, but he's doing it in the right way because he's not, he's not asking. So, but nobody actually knows think it's fair to say but now let us stop this business of charging interest you must restore their fields vineyards olive groves and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you've charged when you lent them money grain new wine and olive oil they replied we'll give it back everything we'll give back everything and demand nothing more from the people we will do as you've said Then I called the priest and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook the folds from my robes and said, if you fail to keep this promise, may God shake you from the house, your homes and your property. The whole assembly, this is the key, the whole assembly responded, amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. This must have been sweet news to Nehemiah's ear. He didn't just go into that situation thinking, I want to fight and I want to tell some people off, and I want to put them back in their place. He wanted cultural change. He wanted stuff to change as a result of his confrontation. It reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus? He's a little short tax collector. He climbs up a tree because he wants to see Jesus. No one liked Zacchaeus. And Jesus comes along and sees him in, in this tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. Zacchaeus goes, or Jesus goes and has dinner with Zacchaeus, and we don't know what happened in that dinner. But Zacchaeus comes out and says, I've changed. Any, uh, any money I've taken from you, I'm going to pay back four times the amount, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and give half my possessions to the poor. Now, in that, you might read that, oh, Zacchaeus realized that he needs to do some stuff in order to please Jesus. That's not what's happened. What's happened is, Zacchaeus has spent some time with Jesus and he's seen that there's something bigger, something more beautiful to live for than just taking money and exploiting people. He's worked out that Jesus is the ultimate treasure. He's the one that is worth everything. Everything else, you can have that back. I don't want it. I want Jesus. He is my all in all. And so Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So for Zacchaeus, it was that realization that actually far more important than money is the fact that I am a son of God. And that's what drove him to give all that back. So the second half of the chapter that we've just read explains how the wealthy were to treat the poor and the, in their community. Not by exploiting their needs, but by serving and sharing one another. Nehemiah was a governor, and uh, apparently, if you were a governor under King Artaxerxes, you would have a, a budget of about a million pounds every year to spend on food. And we're told that Nehemiah didn't do that. Instead, he fed out of his own personal wealth he fed 150 Jews and nobles and a whole load of other people as well. And that, and that was him saying, look, the culture needs to be different. And that means as a leader, I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to demonstrate what this 
should look like. As soon as Nehemiah had recognized that the people in Jerusalem had developed a toxic culture, he knew that he needed to stop work on the wall and deal with this situation. And that's what he did. Because he knew that the people of God should be living in a distinctive community. And in the same way, God has called us to be a distinctive community. We live, we live to a different set of standards. We have a different hope. And so people around here, they, they, they need to see what we've got. And what we've got has got to look different to what they've got. Does that make sense? The way we're going to do that is not by teaching, telling people that they're doing it wrong. It's not by going out on the streets and saying, the way you're living is... That we can't. The way we do it is by developing a culture here that looks attractive, that looks like the kind of culture that Jesus was talking about, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 14, you are the light of the world. Let me just... I'll just stop here. Here's a picture. His picture is... Is, is like Jerusalem as you think about this. Okay, just think of Jerusalem, and that's the same Jerusalem that Nehemiah was building the walls of. Okay, and he uses this as an image. He says, You are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a bucket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly father and that sense of actually as a church as a community of believers we shine our light in a different way into this dark world that's what's going to be attractive that's what's going to speak life into people when people look at at our church do they see a, a distinctive and attractive community when people look at City Hope do they see a Christ like community actually things like you know often I hear things about people have been to Fab Fridays and they've said there's something different about this place or they come here on a Wednesday and they say there's something different about this place or from wherever there's loads of different situations where people say there's something different about this place and that's good not because it makes us look good, but it's because it makes Jesus look good. It's because we're demonstrating and reflecting something of his glory in the way we're doing things as we're living in obedience to him. Let me put it really personal. When your neighbours and co-workers look at your life, do they get an opportunity to see what godly anger looks like as opposed to worldly anger? Do they get an opportunity to see what godly joy looks like? Do they get an opportunity to see what godly parenting looks like? Do they get an opportunity to see what godly love looks like? If you're not a Christian here today, you might agree with lots of what I've said. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, we shouldn't exploit the, the weak. We, you know, that's a good thing. We should love one another. That's a good thing. What you probably don't understand is why why we're driven to do this it's not just because we think ethically it's the good thing to do it's because our, our the person we look to is jesus he was our demonstration of godly living of christ-like living 
and he was in heaven, came to earth, died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so we could know forgiveness. That's what it's all about. And so our love is driven by something deeper than just, oh, I think it's the nice thing to do. There's something more eternal about it. There's something bigger about it. It's because Christ calls us into this way of life because it reflects something of heaven on earth. Amen? I want to finish by reading, and if, if, if there are anyone, a couple of people had said they've got some words. So um, I want to finish by reading a little bit of Ephesians 4. Just close your eyes, and then um, I'll read it, and we can reflect. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, rolling, slander, along with every form of malice. Keep, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ forgave you. Lord Jesus, we long to be different and distinctive. We don't want to be like the nations around us. We don't want to be like the cultures around us because we've got something so, more, so much more glorious and so much more filled with hope and eternity. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as we, as we get angry, we would do it righteously. And as we demonstrate love and godliness, we would do it in a way that pleases you and is a light to the nations around us. Lord, we thank you that we get to be part of this. Lord, and, and you, you, you work in our hearts to change us where we need to be changed. And I pray that you would do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.